Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Fellas, felons, ladies, lushes, boys, girls. What are you doing? Over they, there? thems, <laughs> however you identify. Right. Welcome to episode. There we go. 123, We Do Recover. Everyone's welcome here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, it has been too long since we've been in the studio doing this thing, sellers. Glad you're here with me today. Yeah, good to be here. Hey, doesn't, doesn't it look nice in here, by the way? It's all, it's all cleaned up. Yeah. It After does months look- and months of you know little things I've been working on. I'm not going to lie, Sean. There were some weeks there that I came in and I literally thought you might be on methamphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> this place was uh, torn apart. Torn apart. It looks beautiful now. It looks like everything's rock and rolling. Today we're going to talk about should students carry Narcan? Dr. Sellers sent me an article. The American Medical Association members are debating a policy stance. We're going to get to that. Yep. Eventually. Yep. We're going to have some, you know, we got some stuff between here and then. Them. Yeah, we got all kinds of nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. But we so, do best nonsense. We, we love the nonsense. Welcome to episode 123. We should have a good time. Hopefully this is educational, informational. We always come on here because we either want to provide you a message of hope, experience, strength, and hope, or we want to give you some... Impart a little knowledge. Education, right? Just help spread the awareness, increase the awareness of what we're dealing with in the year 2023. Let's jump into episode 123 is brought to us by High Desert Counseling. High Desert Counseling is a progressive substance abuse treatment facility with a practical approach. They offer day treatment, morning and evening IOP, continuation of care, and Prime for Life programs. Check out their website at highdesert.help or call them at 435-673-2899. Their facilities are located in St. George and Cedar City, Utah. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Episode 123, part one, is also brought to us by Rise Up Supplements. Rise Up Supplements is a nootropic supplement line aimed at optimizing brain function and supporting mental health. They have two powerful blends. Mindful Mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood, while Mind Shift helps increase focus and optimize brain function. Place your order today at riseupsups.com. That's R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S.com. At checkout, punch in PODCAST20, PODCAST in all caps, to save yourself 20% off on your order today. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, we do. My favorite is uh, MindShift, by the way. It's good stuff. Yeah, I I suffer from... ADHD, but refuse to obviously do any, any, uh, like take any of the medications that are squirrel. addictive. Right. Squirrel. Uh, to me, squirrel boy. Yeah. Like, I start something and I'm on it. I'm on that subject for eight seconds. And then, like, I'm lost. I don't even get to where I'm going. So, oh, we, we've seen that. Yeah. I'm, so, well, we've been a party of that. I like uh, mindful mood. I, or the mind shift. The I mind mean, shift mind, is good. I, yeah. did, I said mind shift originally, but yes, mind shift is better. So they work, me. they work on the, the nervous systems, right? So think of like Dr. Sellers is talking about mind shift. Think of that as the gas pedal. It's got a little bit yeah. of slow acting caffeine. It has some pick me ups. It helps with focus. It helps connect, uh, like with memory and memory recall, higher verbal acuity. Um, that's the gas pedal. Yep. Then mindful mood is like the brake. It's going to slow you down. It's got lion's mane in it helps with a clear, calm, controlled mind. So one works on the sympathetic, one works on the parasympathetic. You're the doctor, you know about this stuff, right? For those of you that aren't completely aware, lion's mane is a plant, not the fur on the back of a lion. Correct. Lion's mane extract. No animals animals were harmed in the making Uh, of this supplement. All right, let's rock and roll, Doc. Let's jump into some new and goods. Well, let's do new and goods. Yeah. Why don't uh, you kick us off? Okay, so no, I'm, because you I'm got gonna do my version of that's new and right because I can't do new and good. The doc can, silly right. seconds, baby. Right. I got some sellers <laughs> silly seconds right here. I, I have two studies. Okay, I'm gonna take them one at a time, but I'm gonna be fairly quick. Okay, first was Mexican drug war. Mm. Somebody took money from our federal government to study the Mexican drug war. Interesting. Here's the conclusion. The Mexican drug war 
led to increased homicide rates in Mexico. So let, let's analyze that for just one second. If we do a little math here, X minus Y equals Z. Okay. In this particular study, X is the number of people that went into the Mexican drug war. Y is the number of people that came out of the Mexican drug war alive. Okay. And Z turns out to be the number of dead people. And here is a remarkable conclusion that I drew on my own. <laughs> without without all spending wars, research money? All wars will lead to increased <laughs> homicide rates. Oh, I think that might be the, the, the whole focus of a war, kind of, the whole purpose. I love these seller silly yeah. seconds because it's just like, how do people Somebody got get a grant the funding? to do that. Like, yeah. This is insane, man. This is taxpayers' monies. Yep. Monies? Stupid. I just made my own word. Monies. You can say monies. Monies. It's kind of a word. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's baffling. Yeah. Sean, you get that? X minus Y equals Z. So does it make sense to you? Yeah, or is it monies. way over your head? Is that YS? <laughs> no, it's IES. Sorry. I feel okay. like anybody doing research on war, like you were saying, should come to the conclusion that, that war leads to increased homicide rate. <laughs> yes, X minus Y is going to equal Z. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I've been able to deduce, deduce that all on my own <laughs> just from reading that study. What you okay. got for us next? Second, this one has a little bit of a, a thing I'm holding till the end, of course. A physician in Alabama had heard stories that there was a certain spider whose bite was fairly dangerous. Hmm. The spider had a black body, long spindly black legs, and a little red hourglass marking on its body. Black widow. No? So, <laughs> to study this, he decided to let it bite his finger, which he did. He then documented what happened for the next two days. Two hours into documentation, he had to turn the documentation over to somebody else because he was hallucinating. His finger had turned black. <laughs> he was throwing up. He was seeing things that weren't there. I'm pretty sure when you're doing research, you're not supposed to do it on yourself. Well, did, did, I think he, did he not the, get any voluntary participants? I think that's the silliness of the study, right? Maybe well, no, I've, maybe I've heard some studies like that where people uh, test the pain index of insects, and so they self-inflict a bite or a sting to figure out. And since they're the they're the I guess what is it this the core subject? What do you call it? The, yeah, subject. Sure. Uh, and so they're able to or say, well, th one. this one works. This one hurts worse. This one hurts less. So yeah, he was just doing scientific research, like any. Well thought out person. Well, <laughs> let, let me. I let feel like this is out of a comic book. Like, isn't this an episode in Spider Man where one of the like goblin guys starts testing on himself and he turns into the Green Goblin? Yeah, that, that's let me I'm let saying. him off the hook just <laughs> okay, a little bit. All right. The study was done in 1933. Oh wow! He did not actually know that Black Widow spiders did this. He had just heard some stories. So it was a Black Widow. It was a Black Widow. Bam. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was repeated by a scientist in Missouri. <laughs> in what year? Well, yeah, what year? I don't remember what year the Missouri one was. I don't uh -oh. know when that was. But I have. Uh, Sean brings up an interesting point because the one I the one I did not bring up in this was a guy who decided to do colonoscopies on himself. <laughs> oh, wow! As a study, Doc, you're digging and into so, ancient history back I mean, I, in 1933s, yeah, boy. I've, I've heard of having your own head up your own, but <laughs> <laughs> that is my seller's silly seconds. Two ridiculous studies. What is new and good in the world of Jared Miller? I love it. Uh, new and good. I just accepted a position. It's the new old job. So I've accepted a position with Steps Recovery Centers. I start on Monday as the outpatient uh, clinical director, clinical manager, basically the clinical gopher, <laughs> get it done guy. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. That's new and that's good. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We also um, have my anniversary coming up. Oh, whoa. so we have a plan to go to San Diego, which is going to be super fun. So you're at 18, your 18 year anniversary, right? <laughs> oh no! Right yes. or two? Two. Yeah, yeah. We're still newlyweds technically. Yeah, I, I like it. So that's my new and good, man. That's Life's a, good. Uh, those are some new and goods for yeah. sure. New job, anniversary. 
Yeah, buddy. Congratulations on both. Thank you. Yeah. Life's good, man. Mr. Denovan. The Any? contractor called me back, and he says he's going to do some work in my yard finally. That's new and good. Wow. Well, yes. Sorry. I had two other contractors that like, oh, yeah, we'll get back to you. I never did. So I finally found somebody to do some work in my backyard. That, That's, is, that is a life you live right there. You yeah. got a call back. Oh, my god! Somebody actually returned his phone call. Yeah, yeah. The guy's coming <laughs> over tomorrow. I think he's going to start work next week. We'll have some backyard Sweet. stuff. So, you know, but it only took like, you know, you call guy A over and over and over. You call guy B over and over and over. Guy C, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. Wow. So, you know. You just did the same kind of math I did. A minus B. Equals a callback from C. Yeah, but this, like this guy, I don't think this guy has any uh, links to the cartel. Drug wars. Pretty what sure. Are, what are you doing? Are you going to bring in some boulders or just some, like, what, what um, you got going on, man? I did a retaining wall last year with those big, like, was it four foot long by two feet tall cement blocks? Okay. Oh, and wow. then uh, the rest of the yard is going to be diamond block. Okay. So, cool. but I have like 12 feet up that I need to terrace out and stuff. So, yeah, well, when you get that done, invite us over for a barbecue. Yeah. Go, I don't know in the neighborhood go, I live in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can eat the hot tub in first. Then there, you guys can okay. come. Uh, yeah. There we go. That's what you want to see is me in a hot tub. That's <laughs> kind of everybody's dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sellers. Hot tub time machine, here we come. Yeah, buddy. All We've right. had a lot happen since uh, we were on here last. Yes, the last for sure. one, I mean, it's been forever since you've been in the studio. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm lo- I'm loving that we're that you wanted to do a topic today, which sure. we're we're gonna jump into. But sure. man, how cool is the fundraising that we did? Oh, okay. That's a thing. Joe we need Nestor to talk about for and Kalichi. Sure. So we had a we had a couple of concerts. Yeah. Um that were uh, the Shannon J. Scholarship. Part, part of the Shannon J. Scholarship fu- Foundation or Fund mm-hmm. and part of the Sobriety Foundation. Yeah. And uh, the first one was, so you tell us about the first one because you were at the first the one. The first I one was at the first one. Yeah, it was Saturday, June 3rd up at the Ogden Amphitheater. And it was it was super cool. It was just, yeah, it was it was really fun. It, surprisingly, a lot of people... Um, like came out and it was it was a really good event. I think that we're kind of getting past the COVID stuff and more people yeah. are getting out and doing stuff, doing things. Yeah, sure. So it was super super fun. And then the very next day, I felt a little bit bad for the artists because they got done right. They wrapped up and were back at their hotel probably ten thirty at night, and then yeah. had to wake up at like five the next day to yeah. come down to St. George, a five hour drive later. Yeah. But then the next day we did a recovery concert for the Sobriety Foundation, Susan Peterson. Down so here at the, what was that? Cox Performing called? Arts. Cox Performing Arts Building? Center on, yeah. on the campus there. Yeah, so it was fun. So I was at the second one. Yeah. Great shows. Great talent. Um, the audience was smaller than I would have hoped for, for sure. We sold over 300 tickets, but I don't think that many people yeah, showed up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out there. <laughs> okay. I'm a little... I got a little burr up my bonnet. Yeah. Yeah. It was on a Sunday. It was. And there's a lot there was a lot of issues and a lot of reasons people weren't there and some excuses people weren't. Right. There's there. like a golf tournament, there's a silver softball tournament. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, okay, not we. I'm gonna go with you. You did a ton of work trying to put this thing together. Mm, thank you. And we really want the, uh, if we're going to be able to do this kind of thing in St. George, because the concert itself was really good. Like, it was great. Oh, it was If we're going to do an event like this in St. George, we need the support. We need a little more support next year if we're going to do it again. Yeah. We need a lot more support next year. We had, the audience was good, but not not big at all. And and I get it. There were some obstacles and barriers, and that's totally fine. But, man, we need a little more support if we're going to continue to do this thing. St. George is not a big town, small community. And if we're going to bring artists like this, these are these are artists. These guys have albums and, like, lots of stuff. Like, yeah. this is not some guy, local guy, that we brought in a guy from We did Pittsburgh. bring in a local guy. But, yeah. We the, did. The, we had a guy from Tooele. Uh-huh. Sure. And he was, he Clearfield. was awesome. Clearfield. No. Oh. Yeah. I got him into Willa. It's, it's cool. Yeah. The cool thing was that I loved about it is each performer was in recovery. So they were able to share like stories of recovery, their yep. personal experience, strength and hope, as well as provide the music, entertainment. The music, music was about recovery. Yeah. It was yeah. beautiful. And about addiction. And for, for and everybody it, and it that did good. come, for everybody that bought a ticket and contributed to the cause, thank you so much. Yes. The sponsors, thank you so much. The people that did come. Man, thank you so much. Yeah, let's rally a little bit better this next year if we're going to have it again, because it's going to be hard to, with that with that size of audience, it's going to be hard to repeat. Yeah. If we manage to do it, come on, guys, help us out a little bit. Yeah. We're trying to bring some stuff to Southern Utah. 
Yeah. Let's so, ju- should we jump okay, in? Okay, I'm you're all uncomfortable now. I'm, it's okay. I I felt like it should be said. Like I yeah. want to keep doing this in St. George, but we need we you know, need support to do it. Um Susan's husband, Mike. Mike said to I me believe. afterwards cuz I said I said, "Well, I think there's like around 100, maybe a little less than 100 people here." He said, "Did you know the first sobriety foundation event we ever did there was five people that yeah. showed up?" Yeah. He and said, that, "This is That the was first, encouraging. He was very encouraging and I appreciate said, that. This is the first sobriety foundation event in southern Utah and you had close to 100 people show up, over 300 tickets sold and you yeah. had sponsors that signed up for it." He said, "You should be absolutely proud of yourself." Yeah. He, he was very so supportive. I appreciate that, Mike. He was here. Yeah. From from they live in Provo. Yeah. And he was down here and it was pretty cool. So, yeah. All right. Well, we had a good time. It's Great all, time. That's all I know. Let's get into the subject, okay? So, subject. why why is this even a, a subject, Doc? That that's one thing when you sent it to me, I was like, "Wait a minute, right? Like for me, it's I guess kind of a no-brainer, but it's deeper than that." Because yeah. so the topic again was the article you sent me was should students carry naloxone? The American Medical Association members debate policy stance. Okay, so that's what triggered the idea for today's podcast is the AMA uh, with their delegates and mostly their committee members got together and was debating over whether or not they would want to support students in schools carrying naloxone. Now, I'm sure most of our audience knows, but naloxone is the medication that can reverse the effect of opiates. Mm-hmm. And again, opiates are uh, anything that anything that's a painkiller, whether legal or illegal, heroin, fentanyl, all the pain pills that are controlled substances, so oxycodone, Percocet, Lortab, Norco. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an antagonist dilated. that goes on and it kicks off the opiate off the receptor off the brain. So if somebody's an active overdose and they're on their way to death, It'll go in, it'll kick their opiates off the receptor, and they'll revive and come back eventually. Right. So one of the effects of opiates on a receptor is it it, suppre- it depresses the respiratory drive. And if you kick, so an antagonist kicks it off, exactly like you said, but doesn't turn the receptor on, so there's no effect. Like, it just blocks it, basically. Right. It's like a so good goalkeeper. So opiates can't get back onto mm-hmm. the receptor. Any opiates still floating around in the system inside the brain can't bind to a receptor. If they can't bind to a receptor, they can't really cause an effect. So that respiratory drive suppression is how people die from opiate overdoses. Naloxone can come in a couple forms. There's the nasal spray, and then there's the injectable form. So for for some people that are hearing this, that they're like, well, absolutely not, because I wouldn't want my, you know child, young adult, adolescent to be carrying around needles and have to draw out some naloxone. No. Okay. There's nasal spray as well. There actually is. So there's two FDA approved forms. One is a nasal spray, like you said, and then the other is injectable. Um, Pharmacies are sometimes now compounding naloxone in a syringe. And so uh, it's not a different form, but it's not an FDA-approved form either. Like right. that's, that one's not totally FDA-approved. Probably equally as effective, but not FDA-approved. So essentially, it'll, it'll be kind of be like an EpiPen, only filled sure. with naloxone. Sure. Yeah, Got like you. that. Okay. Like that, which um, uh, they're actually, I did run across a study in preparation. So these topic-based ones... We actually do a little preparation for. Yeah. Some of the uh, more story-based ones, we don't really have to prepare very much. But I did a little prep. You did a little prep in, in for this podcast. And, um, one, yeah, one of the things I saw is the non-FDA-approved ones are not as effective. So the pharmacies mixing it up aren't as good. Uh, so it's better if you use the nasal spray or the injectable FDA-approved. The core of the problem, though, is... Naloxone, right, is technically a medication. Sure. So not technically. It is. It's, it's a, medication, a medication, right? It's, right. it's uh, so these students are getting in trouble. Right. From what I understood so from the article, the debate. right? There are students that have it and they're getting caught with it, and administrators or the powers that be at their facility are basically laying out disciplinary actions for them having it on them. I th- yeah, I think the point is in most school di- in most school districts in the United States right now, you can't ca- kids can't carry any medications on them for most schools. 
it's not true universally, but some schools they approve certain medications, but the but the school district and the school nurse need to know what medications kids are carrying on their person, and they're usually not allowed to carry anything, and sometimes not very much. Only an emergency a, use. Medication. From an outside perspective, that makes complete sense to me. Sure, right? Like it, that makes complete sense to me. Sure. Like I don't want kids, kids carrying kids around bringing meds into schools medications. Needed yeah, approved. Like, that that makes sense. Right, it's right. not a bad policy necessarily. It's part of our society, though, too, right? Absolutely. So anyway, so what are the, what are some of the problems or statistics around it before we dive yeah, into the? That's what I wanted article. to do. Is let's let's talk about the problem before we get to what the AMA is talking about for a solution. So, we we have been in this. So opioid, uh, not opioid, not even opioid, drug overdose deaths were fairly stable from about. 2000 to about 2019. So for about uh, 19 years. For sure were... from 2010 to 2019, they were right around 70,000 overdose deaths a year. Suddenly in 2018 and beyond, there was a big spike in overdose deaths. Now of those overdose deaths, of the, when they were in the 70,000s, about... 55,000 of 70,000 on average were opiate related. Right. And then there's this large spike. So here's some stats. The number of overdose deaths after being relatively stable for at least a decade, for about a decade at least, um, from 2019 to 2020, opiate, uh, not opiate, overdose deaths rose 30% in one year. We went from 70,000 to... Uh, hold on, I'm going to keep going. It rose another 15% from 2020 to 2021, up to about 108,000 total. So we went from 70,000 to 108,000 in the course of two years mm. where we had been really stable at about 70,000 for almost a decade. Combined, Big that's jump. a 45% increase. Big jump. Yeah, that's a lot. Okay, so... Uh, right, because 30 and then 15. Yep, no, 45, yeah. well... Sort of 45, but 30 plus 15 is 45. I don't want to do all that math. Yeah, it's okay. But anyway, it's a big jump. Sure. Se 70 to 110, almost. Yeah. Huge jump, really, right? It's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I, I want to break it down a little bit in the age group we're talking about. So from in a, among 14 to 18-year-olds, the jump from 2019 to 2020 was 94% increase. Wow. In that age group. 18 to 24-year-olds? Yep. Now, a lot of young people. Now, they're not a large proportion of opiate overdose deaths. In fact, the number one age group for overdose deaths and opiate overdose deaths in the United States is between age 35 and 44, which was a little surprising to me. I mean, I mm. sort of had an idea of that, but ah, it's kind of shocking, right? When that's you think of opiate, opiate overdose deaths, no, that's all overdose deaths and opiate overdose okay. deaths, both. They lead both of those categories. So yes and no. It it's shocking on one hand. On the other hand, not really, because that's the oxycotton generation. It's a good point. Right? Like that's my it's age a good group. Point. I'm thirty seven. And like oxycotton the oxycotton fever or the pandemic that was created by yeah, oh, yeah. Purdue Oxy Pharma, Purdue Pharma, Oxycontin. Right, right. They, there's a Hulu series on it now. Right, right. Like good series too, by the way. Was that's my generation. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. However, I'm going to point something else out that I think might be responsible as well. But another 20 percent jump from 2020 to 2021. So overall, that's a 114 percent jump in two years. Yeah, when it had languished around the same amount for a decade. Now, again, 14 to 15-year-olds do not make up a big percentage of the opiate overdose deaths. In fact, in 2021, when there was 108,000 overdose deaths, only 2,000 of them were among people aged 14 to 18. So 2,000 out of... Out, oh, wait, hold on. I got to tell you this. There were. There's another stat. So there's 108,000 overall deaths, right? There was a, about 90, 89 to 90% of those overdose deaths are opiate related. So most yeah, of them, absolutely. we have vast majority of them are opiate related, right? Um, so we're about out of time in this first segment. We haven't gotten to the meat of the article at all, but uh, take a quick guess. What's one of the, or just 
What's one of the factors in that giant jump? Fentanyl. Fentanyl's a big factor. Yeah. It's the oxycontin generation, but fentanyl is what drove the large increase. Well, because once they started deaths. regulating oxycontin, they changed the formula. People couldn't abuse it as much, so then they turned to heroin, and heroin took a big, a big increase. Yep. And then the next most powerful thing is fentanyl. We're about out of time. I can't believe it. Well, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors, and we'll talk more about this. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the Hilton Garden Inn. High Desert Counseling is an adult outpatient substance abuse treatment facility. We offer multiple services, including day treatment, morning and evening intensive outpatient services, continuing care, and Prime for Life. What makes us different is our emphasis on gathering all of the information before enrollment. We do this by offering a thorough evaluation by a credentialed professional. Once we have committed to you and you have committed to us, don't worry, insurance will not dictate your treatment. Lastly, the pretzel effect. We are a brief intervention where we connect our clients to community, mental health, and medical professionals to help maintain recovery for life after treatment. At High Desert Counseling, we strive to be the bridge from active addiction to recovery, community, and connection. All right, we're back. Welcome everybody back. Uh, part two, I don't know if you know this, part two is sponsored by the Hilton Garden Inn. It's always sunny at the Hilton Garden Inn. Did you know? Always that? sunny and bright, baby. Yeah, even always though it's raining a bunch. You guys had a bunch of rain, haven't you, this year? Because up north today. we've had a ton. Oh yeah, yeah. This this year, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Today yeah. has been a rainy day, but most yeah. of the time it, you know, it's it's gorgeous weather here. Yeah. It's crazy how it can go from like the 90s to rain all of a sudden. Yeah, that is um, that is a little crazy. Yeah, we appreciate the Hilton Garden Inn sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, for sure. So you you were diving into some statistics. You were sharing some stuff. But wait, I, I mean, got a lot of people. A, I got to talk one more second about the Hilton Garden Inn. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> they have great amenities. You're love, stretching out the sponsorships today, I love, baby. I love the Hilton Garden Inn. That's all I want to say. If you are traveling through Southern Utah, give them a Google search. Give them a shot at your business. Uh, they will treat you well. The rooms will be large and comfortable, and the pool is amazing, and the staff is lovely. It's true. All right, I'm st- I'm done stretching. Very true. No, you're no you're stretching. okay. You're right. That is an important piece, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah check them All out. Right. Uh, uh, I want to so here, here real quick. About yeah. the statistics. A lot of we've talked about the statistics on this podcast. Yeah, for right? sure. They are many overwhelming. of those stats are not uh, new to our list. And yet, I feel like the general public, there's not much movement, and that's why, like, right. I was like, this article is amazing because hopefully, it's going to spark some conversation and, you know what I mean, ignite like some people in some places of power to do something. Right now, do I think kids, high school, eighteen years or younger, should carry it? Frankly, I don't. We're going to jump into it, but but I think that there needs to be something more. I, like the facilities absolutely should be carrying it. So, okay. Let me hit you with a few more stats because I really want to define the problem as it pertains to this age group, okay, right? 18 not, to 23. Right, not um, well, or, even, or even younger, right? Because yeah. they're talking about, the AMA is talking about supporting it being uh, in schools, yeah, all schools. Did you hear about that 13-year-old kid from yes. Connecticut? Yes. So 13-year-old kid that. from Connecticut passed away. OD'd in school. Yeah. He died at school, I believe. Yeah. Right? I that, mean, tragic. So so that just goes to show, like, yeah, 13 people, it's out there. Yeah. And guess what happened? The officers that were on scene and the nurses got in contact with the fentanyl because there was like 40 bags of it sitting around and they started reporting symptoms of being sick. Like we can't just ignore it. It's not going away. Right. For sure. Well, so I want to define the problem a little better. Uh, In 2021, 1,871 overdose deaths in the age group 14 to 18 year olds. So it's not. uh, Listen, I'm not. uh, Trust me, I'm not trying to say any death is okay. It's not the same sized problem that 108,000 deaths are. Mm. 1,800 total in the United States in 43 jurisdictions, but that was a big chunk of the United States. Like those 43 jurisdictions covered a large geographical part of the United States. In what timeline is that? That's a year. 
That's a one, one year, year. That's a one year stat. Okay. Now, eighteen hundred human beings. Yeah, but that were less than twenty four years old. But it's so that sounds eighteen hundred doesn't sound giant to me. But eighteen hundred is a lot of people 1, dead, right? Eighteen hundred sounds well, giant. And I do want to say that one death is way too much. Yeah. Okay, but. Sixty point four percent of them, one thousand and ninety of those deaths occurred at the house of the person that died. So not in school. Right. Nothing in okay. school would have helped that. So you've eliminated sixty percent of the people. So only forty percent now. You're left with eight hundred overdose deaths that didn't occur in the house of the person that died. Right? Um, there were potential bystanders. I'm going to tell you. Well, I may tell you what that means in a minute. Potential bystanders were present in 66.9% of the deaths. So, so someone that could around. have helped, right? Yeah, right. A, a kid that overdoses, whether at school or at home or at a friend's house or whatever, if there's no one else around, naloxone's not going to work because an overdose guy can't give himself naloxone. Okay. Right. Um, now, uh, and one other interesting stat is... Um, uh, I know I wanted this. Oh, it's right here. This is heavy, man. Naloxone administration was documented in 563 or 30.3% 30 of the deaths. So they tried. So some people had naloxone. It didn't prevent every death. So you've now narrowed the problem down to, again, a dead kid is too many dead kids. But... It's not a, it's not the giant sized problem. One death is a giant sized problem, but we're not talking about thousands and thousands of kids. We're probably talking about three, four, five hundred kids that might have overdosed on school grounds or or taken the drugs off school grounds and then come onto school grounds. And then of those of that number, Probably 30% of them would not have responded to naloxone or might not have responded to naloxone. I shouldn't say would not have, but yeah. Okay. So now the I, problem, uh, I've defined the problem. Yeah. I think I think back to what you said, one's too many. Like we have defibrillators, people get trained in CPR. Like why, why is it not like okay. mandatory, especially given these statistics? Yeah, right? well, uh, that, that's an interesting point. Now I want to talk about points, okay. right? opinions and points a little bit. Well, I want to read the article some, but I want to talk about opinions and points. And one of mine is... That defibrillator point. If you see a kid lying unconscious in a classroom and you, your first thought is hit him with naloxone, you've wasted, you haven't wasted, you may have wasted time in getting to the defibrillator, right? Because mm. not all kids that are laying unconscious in a classroom are opiate overdose. True. Right? Maybe he had a seizure. Maybe he had a heart attack, which does not happen in 13-year-olds very often, but could. There's a bunch of other causes of death that aren't opiate related. So a lot of people, if we start sticking naloxone in schools, might think of the naloxone first and maybe hesitate to use the defibrillator. However, naloxone doesn't take long to take effect. No. It doesn't hurt the person right. or harm them whatsoever well, so the, if it's excellent not. Point. There's really no downside right? to administering naloxone. And if you've been trained in naloxone, they tell you to go up and you know try to get them awake, you know, the chest rub, or you put your finger right underneath their nose and you go back and forth. It's a little right. uncomfortable, but if it's somebody that's not overdosing, right. technically, you know what I mean? Like most of the time that'll kind of, you'll get some kind of response out of them. Yeah. So, so yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, approximately, uh, this is my last stat. I think I'm going to do it for now. Approximately 41% of the deaths had documented mental health history, including mental health treatment, diagnosed depression, or suicidal or self-harm behavior. Some of these overdose deaths are intentional, not accidental overdoses. Mm -hmm. There's a few people that are actually trying to kill themselves. Yeah. Active suicidal ideation. Yep, for sure. Not passive. I think anybody that's a that's a heavy opioid user has passive suicidal ideation because they know the risks. They just don't care, 90, which is a mental health concern. Ninety percent of the opiate overdose deaths have fentanyl involved. Did you know that even if you administer, even if you administer naloxone, and you don't have a second or a third dose, right. it can go in and kick the opiates off the receptor. But fentanyl is so powerful that it. It goes off for a minute, stays in the bloodstream, comes right back on. So they can technically come back and then go back under. Again. This would be why the thirty percent of people that had uh, that had naloxone in their system still died. Fentanyl is 
Scary. Right. Super powerful. Let's get to right. the article. Okay, let's go. Well, I didn't actually print off an article, but I've got it right here. So if you want to start us off, please do. So this article is brought to us by webpagetoday.com. The title is Should Students Carry Naloxone? AMA Members Debate Policy Stance. And in this, they debate a bunch of other stuff, but the stuff that we care about is under the subtitle Naloxone in Schools. You want to go ahead and... Uh, Start reading that. Yeah, so they, they quote a number of AMA delegates, which are physicians that have been elected to positions of authority within the American Medical Association. They start with quoting Ken Serta, who is a delegate for the American Psychiatric Association representing the Section Council on Psychiatry. He's the guy that introduced the resolution calling for the AMA to... Now, the AMA is not doing this. They're just trying to decide whether they should advocate right. for he, it or not. He right? tabled it, right? He right. put it in Yeah, discussion. he is... Well, tabled not means tabled. something different. You're right. It's the opposite, right? He's the guy that brought it to the right. table. He called it to their attention. Right, right for sure. Um, uh, he introduced a resolution, a resolution sorry, calling for the AMA to advocate that naloxone for opioid, opioid overdose reversal be available to school staff, teachers and particularly to students for opiate overdose deaths. He did acknowledge that the idea of students carrying naloxone is controversial, but he argued that students have been dying from overdose in high school bathrooms. The idea, this is an interesting quote here, this is a quote from him, from Ken Serta. The idea that a school nurse, perhaps in the four hours that they're there, would be willing or able to get a student, get to a student, pardon me, before they die, is just fanciful. I take a giant exception to that statement. I would say there are very few school nurses that wouldn't be willing. Are you kidding me? Hey, there's a dead kid in classroom three. Ah, I got paperwork. Come on. I think what he's what he maybe is getting to is like, I yeah, I don't know. His classmates are willing to pop out a syringe before the nur- school nurses. That's a bad school nurse to me. Yeah, that's a bad school nurse. Yeah, right. This is a part of the school nurse's job. And I also debate that in high schools, I don't know this. This is an opinion for sure. Uh, School nurses are there for longer than four hours a day. They're there when school's in session. I don't ever remember a school nurse. Well, I didn't didn't have them growing up, right? Yeah, man. But they're on almost every school now. Yeah. Because of today's society, right? Then again, I didn't really swing by the administrative administrative office too many times. I tried avoiding that place. You were called in. <laughs> you were called into that office every day of your schooling. You don't lie to me about that. All right, school districts, uh, both in Los Angeles County and Arlington County, Virginia, have actually already chosen to allow students to carry naloxone. He said courageously, and he called it courageously. Right? Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. I'm gonna let. Yeah, I'm gonna let that be. That's fine. Uh, arguing that the AMA needs to take leadership, a leadership role in this issue. I'll make, I'll, I'll give them that. I'm going to read one more paragraph and then I'm going to let you do some stuff. So I actually, if you don't mind, Oh, please do. I'm going to jump in. Yeah. Uh, G Ray Callis MD sp- speaks on behalf of the Texas delegate saying he supported the res- resolution. Hang with me. Page turn. One caveat, remove students from the solution. So he's saying he doesn't want students carrying it. Yeah. Okay, so this is one of the delegates who opposed students carrying it. And what a cool name. Callus, kind of like Dallas, and he's from Texas. Ray Callus from Dallas. Right? Like, <laughs> man, G- that guy's Callis. got it going on, dude. You know Hi, what I mean? my name's G. Ray Callus from Dallas. Like, I, one of his parents was probably a country singer, and the other one was, like, really into <laughs> rap. And so they, like, you know what I mean? Ray, uh, Ray Callus from Dallas. Hi, Actually, he's from Arlington, but I don't well, know. That's Dallas. Is it? It's essentially Dallas. Okay. That's where... Texas Stadium is I'm the edu- Dallas Cowboys play at. Is I'm, in Arlington. I'm educated, smart, SMRT. <laughs> All right, let's rock and roll. Um, in no way do we condone or encourage use of drugs in our schools, but we do want protection with the use of Narcan. Um, Keep going. Callus explains. What we're recommending is that all schools should have it in facility areas. Faculty areas. Sorry. Thank you. Faculty areas and in their nursing off nursing offices because it does save lives he said okay so this so guy's against right students yeah but he is for naloxone in schools he wants it kept in the faculty in like the staff offices and he wants it in the nurse's office okay yeah. and i'm not trying to make a joke of this topic because i realize it's a pretty funny topic but but i always like to be a little lighthearted. and i'm a fan of 
Ray Callis from Dallas, maybe. <laughs> like I, 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 I like that. Can we, go, can we call him by his full name though? G Ray Callis. G Ray Callis from <laughs> Dallas. I, I, that's where I, when I read everything, and we got more, we're going to get to. I agree with that. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, we work in this field every day, Doc, right? Like, we deal with Narcan every day. I can't tell you how many times I've done Narcan trainings. I have right. one in my car. I have right. one at work, two in my car, two at work. Right, got, right? One, in, got one in the briefcase. Right, like, I, I'm ready. I'm, you right. know what I mean, locked right. and loaded because I expected that's the field we work in. Not everybody works, so we might be hyper-focused on this. For sure. And to be completely honest... I can see from an outsider's perspective, the everyday, you know, Joe and Susie and their, and their family, it does kind of send a message of like, people are using, like, I don't know that it condones drug use, but it's like the expectation. And at the same time, well, let's spend a minute on that. Cause I think we got I have more some cognitive do, dissonance. Let's, yeah. Let's and at the same time, on I can that. also does, see, does that condone drug use? <sighs> Sean, you know what? You yeah. are a... You're a professor here at the Utah Tech University. Let's get your kind take of. on And you're a normie, right? Like, you don't do this every day. What's your thoughts? I didn't know how to spell Narcan when we were doing the show, so... That tells you where he's at. He's an expert. Um, I, I think having it available on premises is fine, but I think... I don't think there's... I don't see a reason for normal people to be carrying around Narcan. Just as a normal person's not going to be carrying around a defibrillator or a life preserver or whatnot, it's something that is unique to your world. And you're like, hey, I have I have this everywhere, but that's that's the world you live in. And then there's, I think the the rest of us, the other ninety percent of us. What's the percentage of drug users in America? Seven. Seven. Seven percent. Okay, so the other ninety-three percent of us have to worry about. Well, uh, no, 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 no. Sorry, seven percent was a very old stat, by the way. Okay, it used to be seven. We'll say ten. Yeah, All 10 right, so to, ninety percent so of us have to uh, adapt. Be aware of this, okay? Because it's, it sounds like I mean, I'll say this as blunt as possible, and I mean no disrespect. It's your problem. And I can see people's perspective that <laughs> it's a, way. And it's, it's a perspective. At, and at no the question. same time, but, but at the same it's, time, it's I, a I'm, commonly held perspective. But I'm not carrying around epipens. I'm not right. carrying around insulin. I'm not right. carrying around, as I said, defibrillator. I'm not carrying around these other things where a small portion of the public may might need them. Um, I've never run into a, a situation where I've had to. Uh, Use an epipen. Epipen or CPR or right. or a defibrillator. So. It's a super small percentage, from my point of view, that it would be used. Now, if you are a student, I think if if you are a concerned student and you are amongst friends that have issues, I think that would be a wise thing to be like, hey, my friend is on and off stuff. I better carry this just in case. Uh, just like a concerned mom with a kid with a peanut allergy would carry the EpiPen. But uh, I think for the sure. random he, stranger, you don't think that mom can demand that her cl his classmates carry an EpiPen? No. Yeah, I think, Sean, I know I th you have a random asthma puffer laying around this office somewhere in case some kid comes in here having an asthma attack. <gasps> you found me out. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I think those things are. Yeah. If they're of if they're in a place that they are accessible, you say like a nurse's office. Obviously, a high school is way different than a college environment, right? But because in colleges, students can carry their own meds with yeah. them. So for here, the most part. we have a defibrillator here in the building, right? Um, but I know where it's at because right. it's next to the bathroom. But it's like, when am I going to use that? And then when I do, if I have to use it, that small percent of a chance, now I have to take extra time to figure out how does this work. Now, I understand right. the, the, the you know, same thing with the Narcan, same thing with other things. Right. Um, but I think for the majority of the population, we're not prepared to deal with a small, small, small percentage of a problem that might happen. I, you know, uh, you bring up a point that, that hit me a little bit is, first of all, defibrillators, comparison to Narcan, um, there's some good comparisons, but you can't have everyone carrying around a defibrillator because they're big, right? But the comparison to an EpiPen, or an they're the same inhaler. size, yeah. right? And I did not look up, and it would have been an interesting thing to look up, how many EpiPens are used in schools these days? Like, what's the number of times that EpiPens have saved lives in schools these days? 
So, and is that a required thing? So, if you're in a in a high school or a K twelve, does that mean that every teacher needs to have right, an, an epipen, an right. inhaler, a bulletproof vest, and a gun in her desk? Uh, well, you can argue the bulletproof vest and the gun more than you yeah, can the yeah, epipen. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's that slippery slope argument. But does does the public education public educator need to have all these things available? Yeah. Then, do they need to be trained on that? And then that's not, that's not even accounting for the uh, upper, you know, college stuff. Yeah. So. so here's the other point that's in that inherent in that is I think if you uh, if you allow or or if you allow kids to carry Narcan in a college environment, they're mature enough to understand the implications of that. If you allow it in junior highs, I think a greater slightly greater percentage of the junior high minds would would see that as almost condoning drug use. Yeah, I can. I I I concur. I agree with that. If if a child is walking around with an EpiPen or an inhaler, I think yeah, I think they are prepared to use it. Yeah. So I think that that oh. and that's a trained individual who's like, I hey, I need this. Yeah. I, uh, and so yeah, it, obviously you could apply that to the uh, Narcan. Yeah. Or. The friends of that individual. I've seen that where you know friends right. will carry right. the EpiPen and right. whatnot, but uh, but yeah, if you start getting down into middle school and grade school, you know uh, where is that line of these children need to know how to use it compared right. to? Well, that's the other thing you could talk about is the the routes of administration. Do you want a kid carrying around a needle at all? No, at all. No, it, depending I, on I, how old the kid is, the so answer here, might be different. If but. I could dissect this, I would do it like this. 18 and older college age kids it's i mean that's it, mm-hmm. we're done with that right I think because that they're might old be enough different, let's different cut that argument. completely out of the equation right um adolescents people that are you know what i mean the teens um i i agree with sean from the outsider's perspective like is it is it everybody's problem right i hear that from right. a lot of no. I, I get that i understand that yep. and at the same time and at the same time I do think that facilities should carry Narcan because it's getting to be the point where a massive amount of people are dying because of this and it's not going away. And if we want to decrease these numbers, we have to do something about it. Sure. Absolutely. So, so, and I get it like it is, it's kind of a, it's, it might be an annoyance to some people. Yeah. And I promise you, if you are a human being and you see another human being dying, the annoyance of that 10-minute training will be well worth it if you can yeah. administer Narcan and save somebody's life. For sure. That's my position hey, on let it. Let me move on. I also, real quick, want to yeah, say yeah. if a student is caught with Narcan, I think that there should be a social worker brought in to investigate why he feels the need to carry it and ask mm-hmm. some questions to be able to get him or his friends some help. Right? Yeah, like, let's see, don't treat this as a punishment. Let's treat this. Let's get curious but and it feels, concerned. That almost feels a little punishing. I got to see the social worker now because I'm carrying Narcan. Well, I think what, there's some questions there that need to be answered, and right? Sh- and should that yeah. be a parent thing? I'm allowing yeah. my child to carry Narcan yes. because yes. he's hanging out with a bunch of druggies. Right. Right. You know, it, any parent, I think, is going to. Can, I can you expect the, a 14, 15 year old to rat out his friends? And oh, no. does oh, he no. look at it that way? No. Yes, he will look at it that way. And small will he do percentage. It? Small percentage. I'll actually, I think, hold it for a friend in a responsible way. But that, that percentage is so much smaller than the actual uh, OD. Right. You can get into the weeds real quick on yeah. this. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go on then. Steve Orland, who is a physician who's an alternate delegate to the AMA from New Jersey, called for keeping naloxone in the school nurse's office or behind glass cases similar to defibrillators defibrillators. It should be as widely available as possible, but not with students carrying it around in school, he said. And then there's one more. Karen Pierce, who's a delegate for the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, took a slightly different view. Like it or not, young people are already carrying drugs, and currently they are often removed or suspended if they're found to be carrying naloxone. Now, we've already talked about this. Mm -hmm. She goes on to say, I have too many dead kids. Okay, you don't have any dead kids. Um, I don't like that quote a little bit, but I know what she's saying. I have too many dead kids, and I wish they would have had a Narcan on them to be able to at least get the minutes they needed to get help. How many kids that are addicted to drugs are going to be aware enough to say, oh, I better carry my Narcan just in case? Oh, yeah. You know, being able to say, hey, let me have this on my body just in case. And then on top of that, if I'm in a situation where something is happening, is... 
is it a Narcan? Is it an overdose? Is it a right. heart attack? Right. Is is it an insulin thing? Is it right. an epi? I, I don't know which. Do I just hit them with everything? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Point. Start, <laughs> you know, start, start throwing the kitchen sink. You know, poke, prod, shove up the nose, you know, clear. You know, yeah. what, what, what's it going to be? Because sure. if I'm not educated in those, sure. in those four of whatever, how, how many? How many parents of drug users are going to be responsible enough? Because if you got a 13-year-old drug user, I'm going to... I'm going to posit that perhaps the parents aren't great in that family. Mm-hmm. How many of those parents are going to be responsible enough to say, hey, you need to be carrying Narcan to their 13-year-old drug-using kid? See, I think that um, in both those scenarios, there's a lot of assumptions being made. I don't know that a ton of kids are carrying drugs. Like, sure, I think that a lot of... All the ones that died were. Yeah. Every single one of them. For the most part, though, when you get into like high school age kids, and that's why you found the statistics were way lower, right? Between yeah. that age category of 18 and 24, most of the time yeah. it's smoking pot and it's drinking alcohol. Right. You know, so, yeah. And anyways, you can get into the weeds real quick. I think More weeds. for there to be, I love this article we because about weed. It's, it's starting some kind of conversation like, who takes a stand and how do we implement this on a functional level that everybody's going to be at least somewhat okay with? Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Well, you want to keep going? Yeah. We got about a minute and Oh, jeez, I didn't realize we were out of time. Out of time. We're out of time. Let's try to wrap it up. Yeah. Well, give me your opinion. What should we do? I think that you, like I said, I think that when it comes to adolescents and teens, you know, it, I think that the facilities, the education system should have it in at least a nurse's office, you know, the principal's office. So if you come into a situation where you have a kid that goes limp, you, yeah, you get on the phone with 911, you, you go through the different things. And if it ends up being that it is an opioid overdose, you have the tool to be able to help. I would, my, my opinion is yes, let's have it in schools. Let's, I don't know about letting students carry it. I kind of uh, hesitate with that for sure. And I say in the college environment, like a glass case in the hall where it's accessible, uh, but in a high school environment, uh, I think teachers or nurse, and we pay the teachers more so they actually know what they're doing in the way of that. So give them some extra money and then they can say, okay, then we have this extra education because now we're having to take care of a possible dead kid. I like it. I have a wife that would strongly love that and agree with that. (laughs) Well, thanks everybody. There's a lot of debate here. Lively debate. Had a good time. Thanks for listening. This is episode number, I can't remember what episode number. 123. 123. We do Recover with Jared Miller. I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by High Desert Counseling, Rise Up Supplements, and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of its sponsors. This has been a production from... A podcast studio.